Hello, everybody. Once again, it's great to be with you. Again, my name is Shay, and uh, welcome to Hosanna. I'm saying hello to you in the room here in Shakopee and everybody at our Lakeville campus. God bless you. Thanks for being there today and everybody online. It's great to be with you this morning. Didn't the children's ministry worship team do an awesome job just now? Yes. We are so excited about this album, and I would just encourage you, we, we bought it already, my family and I, and uh, my kids are already wearing that thing out. It's a great album. Check it out if you haven't done so already. Uh, we're excited today because we're continuing our new series called All About Jesus. This is our Lent series. How's Lent going, by the way? That's usually the, the response that I get when I ask that question. I just don't know. Like, yes, I'm giving up chocolate. It's going awesome. You know, we, that just doesn't usually happen. You know, last week, Jen, uh, Pastor Ryan's wife, um, he or she talked to us about the first time she ever participated in Lent. She talked about how she gave up sugar and she cheated all the time. I like to tell this story that my wife tells on her father, uh, my father-in-law. He's in town this weekend. So for, for the sake of his presence, I would say, I will tell you this story. Uh, he, he one year gave up TV for Lent. TV. Come on, that's a, that's a big thing. Television. And then went to the movies every single night. So <laughs> that's my favorite Lent story. Lent is this time in this season that many of us choose to give up something or fast something for the weeks leading up to the moment that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And Lent is this time that we can kind of enter, kind of enter into this season of walking through the, the journey of the cross with Jesus, where we experience loss and pain ourselves in the season of Lent leading up to the morning where we experience great joy because of the resurrection. And so we're excited that we are in this Lent season together, and we are excited that we are in this series all through Lent, talking about Jesus. That's what the series is, is, is about, is Jesus. And what we are doing is we are fixing our eyes on him. We are looking at his life. We are looking at his miracles. We are looking at the things that he said. We are looking at the things that he did. And we're asking the question, what does that have to do with us today? And so last weekend, Pastor Ryan and Jen got us started off great. They talked to us about the reason why Jesus came in the first place, and they introduced to us the theme scripture for this series, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 12. Here's how it goes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, I love this, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The metaphor is that all of us are running a race in life. All of us are on a journey. And what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to do is as we are on the journey of life, as we are running the race that we have been given to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is working in our hearts, he's working in our lives, and if we allow him, he will perfect that work that he has started in our hearts. So that's why we're fixing our eyes on Jesus for this season of Lent. We're talking about his life. So today, what I want to do is pick up the story where we left off last week. Last week, we were in Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to Luke chapter 2. 
Last week, if you were here, um, you heard Pastor Ryan and Jen talking about the beginning of Luke chapter 2. By the way, if you missed that message, I would highly encourage you to go back and watch it. You could do that on the website. But Luke chapter 2, the beginning, talks about all of the hoopla, all of the excitement, all of the surrounding um, buzz that was happening around the birth of Jesus. So Luke 2 tells us about the birth of Jesus. And by the time that we make it through Luke chapter 2, at the end of Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12 years old. This is important. I want to, uh, I want to, I want to set the scene for you in how Luke chapter 2 finishes because we're going to be spending some time with this idea today. Luke chapter 2 finishes by telling us the story when Jesus was 12 years old Joseph and Mary took him to the temple. Once a year, as a nice, good Jewish family, they would go once a year to Jerusalem. It was about a two-day journey for them to go to Jerusalem. And they would go with all of the rest of Israel, and they would, they would kind of converge on Israel, the, or Jerusalem, the city, and they would go there to celebrate. And as they were there celebrating, the story goes that they, they kind of lost sight of Jesus. If you can imagine this, being a parent, and you lose your child, not just for a few moments, but the story says that they lost him for three days. Now, the, Mary and Joseph aren't exactly up for the parent of the, the year award at this point. You understand? And, and, and I can't imagine. Can you imagine losing your child for three days? I would be panicked. I, I'm sure that they were, they were worried sick, and they, the story goes that they find him, finally. They, they realize that they had lost him on the journey. Hey, Joseph, have you seen Jesus? Jesus says, no, I thought he was with you, and oh my gosh. And so they run back to Jerusalem, and they're looking everywhere for him, and they find him in the temple. What's he doing in the temple? At 12 years old, he's sitting with the top teachers and scholars of his day, and he's asking questions. And he's learning about the Torah. And so, this, this is kind of a funny scene. Just kind of go with me here. Mary and Joseph, they find Jesus in the temple. Now, God knew what he was doing when he picked Mary and Joseph as Jesus' parents. Because I don't think that I would have handled it as well as Mary and Joseph did. We'll, we'll read this in just a minute. But, but when Mary finds Jesus, she runs to him and says, Jesus, where have you been? We've been worried sick about you. And he says to her, Woman, don't you know I should be about my father's business? See, it would have been that moment right there. <laughs> he would have never made it to the cross because I would have taken his life right there. <laughs> they had been worried sick for three days. They finally find him. But Mary, God bless her, she's soft with him. And the Luke chapter 2 verse 51 tells us this. That after they found him, then, he, then Jesus returned to Nazareth with them, Mary and Joseph, and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all of these things in her heart. Okay, so she kind of tucked them away. She began to think about what she had just experienced. That's how Luke chapter 2 finishes. You, if you are following along in your Bible, you'll notice that Luke chapter 2 actually has a verse 52. I want you to just put your thumb there or circle the 52 because we're going to come back there in just a moment. 
Now we're going to fast forward to Luke chapter 3. It's it just the, here, but here's what I want you to see. In between Luke chapter 2, the end of the chapter, and Luke chapter 3, would you just, if you have a Bible, just write the phrase 18 years later. 18, this is very important, 18 years later. 18 years between Luke chapter 2 and Luke chapter 3. 18 years of silence. 18 years of obscurity. 18 years of not knowing what is happening in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 3. If Jesus is 12 in Luke chapter 2, how old is he 18 years later in Luke chapter 3? How old is he? It's early. Come on, I know you can do this, though. He's 30. He's 30. So in Luke chapter 3, he's 30 years old, and he shows back up. After nobody's heard from him for a while, he shows back up in Luke chapter 3 when John, his cousin, is baptizing people in the Jordan River Valley. Here's what I want you to see. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 says, When all of the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens was opened. The heaven was opened. Let's go to the next slide. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Okay. Let me set the scene for you. I kind of want to paint a picture for you here. Luke chapter 2 ends with Jesus at 12 years old. And the entire chapter of Luke chapter 2, we see that there is, there is a lot of buzz going on around the life of Jesus. People had high expectation and hope. People were telling uh, their relatives. They were telling their friends. News about him was spreading like wildfire around the country. And by the time he's 12 years old, he is in the temple and everybody is amazed with him. But then, then, notice this. Then he goes silent and he drops off the map and he is in obscurity. Today's title of the message, by the way, is The Obscurity of Jesus. Now, I know that sounds so exciting. I know that you're all just itching to understand what the obscurity of Jesus is all about. But I believe there's something powerful here. As I was preparing for this, this, this phrase kept sticking in my heart. The obscurity of Jesus. The obscurity of Jesus. And I believe that there's something here that will touch all of us. And this is what I want to discover with you. This 18 years of silence. Now in this 18 years, we don't know anything. There's none of the other Gospels tell us or give us a clue of what's going on in these 18 years. We, we can kind of guess. Some scholars have suggested that Jesus was probably in his hometown and he was obedient to his parents. And one scholar says he probably had a scroll in one hand and a hammer in the other. That he was learning about his culture. When I was in Israel, they talked to us about most likely he was what they call a tecton. A tecton is a fancy word for a day laborer. He, he was probably working with stone masonry and he was working in carpentry. And Jesus was helping build some of the cities around the, the, his village that the Romans were building. But we don't know really what is going on in the life of Jesus for 18 years. Now here's what's fascinating to me is all of the buzz had kind of reached a crescendo by the time he was 12. The whole country had high hopes for this young boy who had been born among them. They were pinning prophecies to him and saying, this one is going to fulfill all of these prophecies. All of this reaches an, a pinnacle peak, a point at the end of Luke chapter 2, where everybody is ready for what is next. And then, nothing. 
obscurity. Here's what I think. I think the people that were alive when he was younger, if you do the math, the people, and you look at the life expectancy of the people at that time, it was way lower than it is now. Most of the people that were alive at his birth and that saw the excitement and saw all of the hope of Israel being placed on this baby that had been born, most of those people by this point, 18 years later, had passed away. Some had forgotten. I wonder... I wonder if the people that lived in that area talked to each other and say, whatever happened to that baby Jesus? Whatever happened to that boy that we thought was going to be the one that God sent to us? Whatever happened to that one that we kept hearing about that was supposed to be the Messiah? Maybe he was a failure to launch. Maybe we got it wrong. Maybe he wasn't who we thought he was in the first place. Can you imagine being Jesus in this 18 years of obscurity? Growing up and hearing all of the things that have been said about you, and then for 18 years, nothing happens. For 18 years, nobody is asking him to lead anything. 18 years, you don't see that he preaches a sermon. For 18 years, he doesn't heal anybody. Nobody's asking him to come and do anything for them. For 18 years, Jesus is in total obscurity. In 18 years, God has grown quiet. For 18 years, he's in a season of a holding pattern. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever felt this season of obscurity in your own life? I know I have. How many of us know what it's like to be young and have huge dreams and to realize and to dream about us making an impact on the world and changing the world in a great way? How many of us have a dream of doing something significant and extravagant only to get to our midlife and we realize that we used to dream about changing the world and now all we're doing is changing diapers and paying bills? How many of us have had a dream that has taken longer to come true than we thought was going to take? How many of us are struggling in a time of obscurity right now where we're tucked away and in silence and nobody is celebrating our gifts and nobody is asking us to lead a small group and nobody is recognizing what we know about our own selves, the gifts that lie dormant that aren't being used anywhere. We haven't been given the opportunity. How many of us know what it's like to be in a season of frustration where it feels like God has grown silent and where maybe in the past you had a great, vibrant relationship with the Lord and you felt like you could hear his voice clearly. Now you wonder what's going on. Has God forsaken me? What's up with this frustrating time of obscurity? What's up with this time, this season that I'm going through where I don't really understand what's happening? When will this season end? If you've ever been there, here's what I would say. Jesus was there for 18 years. What was this 18 years all about? What was this time of obscurity all about? Why was this an important season in his life? If you think about it, Jesus is in obscurity longer than he is in the limelight in his life. For most of his life, he is tucked away. Nobody is talking about him. Nobody is asking him to do anything. For 18 years, all he is doing is wondering if the prophecies about his life will ever really come true. That's Jesus' experience for 18. 
15 years of obscurity, frustration, quiet. I believe that there's a clue in the text that we just read of why this 18 years of obscurity took place in Jesus' life. Remember I asked you to circle verse 52? I want to go back there now because I believe this is what's happening in the 18 years of obscurity in Jesus' life. Look at what Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It's how the chapter ends and sends us into the 18 years of obscurity. Here's what it says. And Jesus increased, this is so good, in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that there was a purpose to his obscurity? Are you saying that there is an identity that is being developed in him in this time of being hidden away? Is God really doing something in the life of Jesus here that was preparing him for the calling that was on his life, for the season when he would finally step into the limelight? Something was happening in the time of obscurity, his time of silence. Something was being developed in him, and it was the ministry that God had called him into. He was increasing in three things, the scripture says. He was increasing in wisdom, in stature. Another word for stature here is character. And in favor with God and man. 18 years of obscurity was developing in Jesus the person that he needed to be to finally step into the destiny and potential that God had called him to in his life. This is the point of the obscurity of Jesus. And, my dear people, this is the point of the times of obscurity that you and I experience in our own lives as well. Where did Jesus learn how to heal people? He learned it in obscurity. Where did Jesus learn all of the things that he taught about when he would stand in front of the crowds of thousands? Where did he learn it? He learned it in obscurity. Where did he learn how to have a deep, thriving relationship with his heavenly father? Where did he learn that? He learned it in obscurity. Where did he learn how to pass the wilderness temptation of being tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights? How did he pass that test? He drew upon the deep well of wisdom and character and favor that had been developed in his life in the place of obscurity. God was preparing Jesus for something grand, something special. And to do it, he had him in a place of obscurity. If you've ever felt frustrated, if you've ever asked the question, what is going on in my life right now? God, I can't hear you. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why I can't seem to get. It feels like I'm just spinning wheels in the mud. I don't understand what's going on in my life right now. Have you forgotten about me? My encouragement to you today is this. God has not forgotten about you. It's in that place of obscurity. It's in that place of silence. It's in that place of being tucked away that he is also developing in you wisdom and character and favor with God and man. Why does God have you in a frustrated place? Why does God have you in a place of obscurity? Why does it feel like he has grown silent? Why? Because he is preparing you. He is preparing you to be the person that you need to be to step into the future that he has called you to live in. 
The place of obscurity is the place where God develops us and builds in us Christ-like character. I want to talk about these three ideas, the three ingredients of obscurity, the three things that develop in our hearts when we find our pla- ourselves in a place of obscurity or silence or being tucked away. The first thing that we've looked at that Jesus was developing in is this idea of wisdom. Would you just say that out loud? Say wisdom, wisdom. This is what Jesus is developing in over 18 years of being tucked away. He's, I mentioned to you earlier, one scholar says that he's got a scroll in one hand and a hammer in the other. What do you think he's doing? I think that he's just observing, he's learning, he's having conversations. He's rubbing shoulders with day-to-day people. He is learning what it's like to live in his context. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like we are, yet he never sinned. That's what Hebrew says. In other words, Jesus walked a mile in our shoes. Jesus fully experienced what it meant to be human. Jesus knew what it was like to try to make ends meet by going out and working every day to pay bills. Jesus knew what it was like to be in a small village. You know, Nazareth was such a tiny village. You want to talk about obscurity. They think there was only about 15 families that lived in this town. They didn't even have a stoplight (laughs) in Nazareth. Jesus is tucked away, and he's learning, and he's observing, and he's asking questions. And God is teaching him in a place of wisdom so that by the time he steps into the limelight, he has something to say. So I was thinking about this in my own life. I realized that I'm not as bright as Jesus. And I learn things kind of the other way. I learn things by learning what not to do. For example, I have learned some wisdom in how to be a good husband by some of the things that I've said to my wife in the past. Things that I shouldn't have said. Things like, how does this dress look on me? And I was honest, and it didn't go well for me. I've learned wisdom. I've learned how to season my words and comments. It looks great, honey. I think you should wear it. You look beautiful. I've learned that through getting it wrong, but that's some wisdom. Wisdom has developed in my life because I have not raised my kids well at certain points, and I've had to go back and apologize, and I'm sorry, I got mad, I shouldn't have been so hard on you. Wisdom comes sometimes in our own lives by learning what not to do through failure. Here's the thing about failure, is it's more, it's more advantageous, it's a little safer to fail when you're in obscurity than it is when you're out in front of everybody, you understand? Obscurity is this place where God develops us in wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5, if you're taking notes, there's a little, it was my fault, there's a typo there. It's not 115, it's 15, but it says this, that if there's any among us that lack wisdom, we should ask God who will freely give to those who need it. Wisdom is something that God is developing within us so that by the time we find ourselves stepping into that thing that he has called us to do, we know what we're talking about or we know how to navigate the challenges that we'll find once we get there. 
Wisdom is this thing that God is desiring to develop in all of us as we find ourselves in a place of obscurity. I used to have a friend, whenever I would get in, get in a frustrated place, this friend would say to me, what is God teaching you right now? I hated that question. I, I, I used to always say to them, I don't care what he's trying to teach me right now. I just want out of this place of frustration. <laughs> but many times, it's in that pl- place of frustration where God will teach us wisdom and we learn. And we're learning from the day-to-day, living life, learning how to serve God no matter what challenges come our way. Wisdom. Jesus was developing in wisdom. The second thing that the Bible tells us he was developing in is character. Character. I can't say enough about character because character is the thing that God is after in each one of us. Did you know that ultimately, this is an important point to this entire message this morning, ultimately God is more concerned with who you are becoming, the kind of person you are becoming, than what you do for him in the end. Ultimately, God cares more about the person you are becoming than what you end up doing for him in any kind of acts of service. Character is this idea that God is working beneath the surface. I, 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 was, uh, I saw an, an article that caught my attention this week. It was the article about this billionaire tycoon out of Australia is rebuilding the Titanic. Does anybody see that? He's rebuilding the Titanic. Now, how many of you guys are just itching to get on that maiden voyage. Not, not me. But what, what caught my attention with the Titanic story is that they are, they're not going to sail anywhere that has icebergs. I think that's pretty smart. They're going to stay in tropical waters. But here's the thing about an iceberg. The reason why I bring up the Titanic is because if you know about the, the story, 1912, the Titanic um, hit an iceberg, but it wasn't the iceberg that was above the surface that caused them problems. It was the iceberg that was below, the part of the iceberg that was below the surface that breached their hull. They took on water and it was a tragic deal. You know the story. Leonardo DiCaprio dies in the end. Sorry, <laughs> spoil it for you. But, but the iceberg, what's interesting about an iceberg is it's much bigger below the surface than it is above the surface. Here's the point. It's not what's above the surface that will sink your ship. It's what lies beneath. Come on, somebody. It's what lies beneath. What God is after is not just your surface level behaviors. He's after who you really are when nobody's looking. That's what character is. Character is the inward thoughts and your inward motivations and what is really driving you. What God is after is our hearts. He is after what lies beneath. See, if we're not careful, what we can slip over into in religion is we can just pay attention to the surface level behaviors. And when we do that, we identify the most spiritual among us as those that hide it the best. But that's not. That's not what God is after. Every, I've used this illustration before. Every spring, every spring, my yard gets invaded by weeds. And no matter what I do, if I go out there and I pull all the weeds by hand, how many of you know, just about a few days later, they're all going to be back. Why? Because I didn't get what was below the surface. I didn't get the root. What God is developing in us in the place of obscurity, what he was developing in Jesus in the place of obscurity is character. 
Many times our character is developed by being put into a place of being uncomfortable. Character is what comes to the surface when you get squeezed. What's inside of you? What's really going on? So that when Jesus pops up out of the waters of baptism and God says to him, remember what he said? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's he pleased with? He hasn't done anything yet. What's he pleased with? He's pleased with the character, the wisdom that has been developed in the time of obscurity. There's one more thing that the Bible tells us Jesus was developing in, and that is this idea of favor. Favor. Here's what I would say about favor. Favor doesn't always feel like favor in the moment. Think about it this way. One of the people that is identified in the New Testament as receiving the favor of God was Mary. Look at, look at Luke chapter 1. The angel shows up to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and says to her, this is, he's telling her for the first time, you're going to be the mother of Jesus. Greetings, you who are highly, what, favored. The Lord is with you. Let's talk about Mary's favor for a moment. Can we? What does this favor look like? This favor looks like Mary now having to go to her soon-to-be husband and saying, Hey, Joseph, guess what? I'm pregnant, and it's not yours. Or her having to go to her family and saying, I am pregnant, and it's all because an angel showed up and talked to me. I mean, this is, this is the favor of God on her life. It looks like scandal. It looks like, it looks like hardship. It looks like being in a place of being uncomfortable and those around you not understanding what is going on really in your life or understanding your dreams or understanding what the Lord has spoken to you. That's God's favor on Mary's life. And eventually, God's favor would look like Jesus going to the cross and dying a brutal death. That's favor? That's what it means to be highly favored? Here's the thing about favor. And this has been true in my own life, and I think if you look at your life, you would see this as well. That given time and perspective, when we look back on those uncomfortable moments in our life, when we look back in our lives where we struggled, where we didn't understand what God was doing, when we didn't get the job we wanted to get, or we didn't get that thing we were hoping we would get our hands on, or things didn't work out the way we wanted them to, we can look back with time and perspective and realize that God was doing us a favor. God was doing us a favor. That sometimes in the moment, the favor of God on our lives does not feel like favor. But given time and perspective, we could say what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that I am convinced that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. The promise of God to us in obscurity is even when it's uncomfortable, even when we don't understand what's going on, God's favor is working in our lives and he is developing in us the character, the wisdom, and the favor that Jesus himself experienced. Favor. So this morning, here's to those who are frustrated. Here's to those who are in a hidden away place and you don't understand what's going on. Here's to those who are questioning, God, what are you doing really in my life? Here's to those who feel caught up in a moment of obscurity. 
Here's to those who are barely hanging on and you're struggling and you don't understand what's coming around the corner. Here's to those who are desperately trying to get out of the season of frustration that you're in to move on to the next thing so that you can find some relief. What if, instead of wiggling out and trying to find, what if we, instead of trying to find our way out of the moment of obscurity, we embraced it? And we trusted God and we allowed him to do what it is he's trying to do in us. What if we saw obscurity itself as the favor of God on our lives where he has not left us alone, but he is working a great, deep work within all of us? What if we saw our moment of obscurity not as a setback, but as a drawback, like an arrow? God is preparing you to launch you into something significant and mind-blowing that will impact the world around you. What if we saw obscurity that way? That's how Jesus experienced it. That's how he saw it. And God used him to change the world. May it be so among us as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are with us this weekend both here at our Shakopee campus and at our Lakeville campus. We thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are working in our lives and your promise to us is no matter how we feel, you have never left us alone. You have never forsaken us. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord, would you help us? Help us to live in this time of obscurity, the hidden away place, the frustrated place. Help us to live it in such a way, the same way that Jesus was able to pass that test. Would you develop in us the person that you're trying to develop? We surrender our hearts to you. We say we trust you. We ask that you would keep going, keep working. We don't want to check out yet. We don't want to get off the train yet. Lord, keep moving in our hearts and take us to where it is you're trying to take us. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to stand at this campus and in Lakeville for a final blessing. Amen. What a message. I know that impacted me. I can't imagine there's a person in here who that didn't touch in some way. If it didn't touch you, we have an 11 o'clock service. Come back because it was pretty powerful. Will you receive this blessing? Also, remember, we will have our prayer ministers up here. And I encourage you to come forward, particularly if you are someone who is experiencing obscurity and you need encouragement, they want to pray for you. So receive this blessing. May you this week know that God the Father sees you, that he who is faithful and who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And may you grow in wisdom and character and favor, and may you shine bright for the world to see. I pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next week for more of All About Jesus.